Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Uh, this week we have an interesting show. Well, they're always interesting, otherwise we wouldn't record them. Uh, but this week I'm talking to Robert Schmidt, who is a, uh, the leader of the Internet of Things practice, the chief futurist at Deloitte Consulting. Uh, Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be on there kind of a switch of roles. You were on my show, now I'm on yours. That's right. So your, uh, uh, your alter ego is Mr. IoT. And so we have uh, Mr. Beacon meeting Mr. IoT. It sounds like something from a, a Marvel comic thing. I don't know whether we're dueling it out or we're like the Fantastic Two or whatever. Anyway, it's probably not a good yeah. look to compare well, yourself you to a superhero. So uh, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> it's 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 great to have you on, and I um, I I don't know how you feel about doing your show, uh, but I learn a huge amount from my guests, and um, um, so you, as well as running a consulting practice dealing with super interesting, demanding clients at the cutting edge, you're also talking to people throughout the IoT ecosystem constantly, and so it's great to be able to pick your brains. Before we dive into it, just a few housekeeping things. I want to give my uh, usual uh, non-paid-for uh, plug for Starbucks, uh, basically as a thank you for running their program for young adults who have autism. Uh, my eldest son's in that program, and uh, it's actually been going on four months now, so which is the longest time he's held down a job, and part of that is basically because he loves working there and the people there are very understanding and flexible. And uh, so it makes a huge difference. And uh, as I think about it, this industry, I don't know what your view is, Robert, but I think this industry is full of people that are on the spectrum. Um, some of some are kind of at the Bill Gates end of the spectrum and others are, are maybe, uh, uh, maybe less, uh, less functional and finding the folks that are a more challenged, uh, a great place to work when they can, where they can meet people is really good. So what's, what's your view on autism in technology, Robert? Do you see a lot of people on the spectrum? Uh, look, I don't know. It's a difficult subject. I've had a guest one time and um, he actually had some interesting um, eye movement and um, um, an analysis, video analysis, actually, of people and when they walk up to um, expo booths. So what happened is, you know, we do these uh, conferences and we put up a booth and we really don't actually know how well people interact with us. And so he created um, this uh, technology that really tracked what people did when they walked by the booth and realized that actually there is some learning for um, autism and a variety of other things that can be taken out of this. So he's taken his business and, uh, and taken the business side and as well as the human impact side of what he does and kind of broke it out into both. And I find this to be true for many of our technologies that uh, many of our technologies, particularly when we connect sensors, there is such a human impact to uh, 
what we can do with it. And um, it's sort of like this balance, right? What do we do that's business that makes money and what do we do to give back? Uh, or is giving back making money? I, I, I always get caught up in that a little bit uh, when we ask ourselves too much, you know, about the money question. Do we lose sight of actually some of the human impact of what it does? So um, I, in a roundabout way, I'm not an autism, autism expert and I, I don't want to claim to have the deep expertise that you do personally. Um, I, I just try to see in many of the technologies we do discuss, you know, what's the human impact of that? And is there something else it can do besides generating revenue or reducing cost or something like that? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And the cool thing is, I, I think you can justify if we can do good, uh, then 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 I think there's a good business rationale for that, because so much of what we have to do is persuade people to join in, to use the technology to trust us. And the, the best way, I think, of motivating people, whether they're customers or staff, is actually to have some purpose to what you do. So anyway, we're digressing a little bit from IoT, but, uh, but I think uh, you know, what I see you do on your show is you look at things holistically. And so um, you know, the topic that I'd like to explore with you over the next few minutes is really just what is the state of the Internet of Things. Um, and uh, what I was thinking we could do is, as you work for one of the great management consulting companies of the world, which you, know, you, you typically have a lot of interesting methodologies, we'd use one of the oldest ones in the book, which is the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's got a quadrant, so it's got to be good. Um, uh, what's... You know, we're in the uh, beginning of uh, a new decade, 2020. We've had uh, 10 years of plugging away and, and more, some people would argue, of plugging away on IoT. What, what's your conclusion or what's your latest view on the strengths of this basket of technologies that, that fills the IoT spectrum? So I, I want to start by saying we are a management consulting company, but we also do a, a lot of other things. We do a lot of technology consulting as well. Uh, we help with uh, advisory and so forth. So just sort of um, wanted to start there, being a technologist at heart. Yeah. Um, but uh, coming back to your question about uh, the strengths of IoT, I it's an interesting time, right? Um, three, four years ago, people talked about the hype cycle. Today, we talk about the SWOT analysis. Um, so I think that in its own uh, shows you the, the change we've gone through. But when I look at strengths, um, I see sensors have become much, much less expensive. Uh, even more important, sensors are now becoming wireless, which that's going to make a huge difference and you know who else knows more about this than you working at will iot mm -hmm. and so i think that's a big difference data transmission has become cheaper i i, I dream of the day when we transmit data for free mm -hmm. uh, obviously that's not the vision of uh, our my friends at the telecom companies but i still believe that we're gonna get there mm -hmm. um, but it's really really gotten cheap and <clears throat> Most, uh, least, but definitely not, uh, last, but definitely not least, we today have platforms that actually can deal with the data uh, volumes that we produce. Um, a good colleague of mine uh, who now uh, works at uh, Panasonic, uh, he actually, uh, when he started his company, I don't know, five, six years ago, he had to create his own platform to take in the data, to manage the data, and so forth. And today we have true IoT platforms. And I, I'm using the word platform almost reluctantly, mm -hmm. but we have big platforms that can handle the data that we produce and can deal with it, which is really the underpinning of uh, all the apps we build. Let's just dig into this platform thing. So one of the thing is one of the things is we now have true platforms. What 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 did we have before true platforms? What what's the difference? We wrote our own code. We had Python. We had code to write. You know, we had cloud services, but we didn't have the services or the capability to deal with all the data that came in. So real time streaming. You know, that's something that's uh, really was required for this. 
um, artificial intelligence, the way to really sort through the data and give you results that we can't make up on our own without weeks and months of uh, analytics. Now we can have a machine give us um, an analysis or even maybe just come up with a question to ask for us to then ponder and take from there. Um, so that compute power and that ability those are things that we really needed for streaming data from IoT that we have today. I think those are really good observations. It's uh, the, the, the wireless connectivity uh, with sensing capabilities takes friction out of it. The reduced cost takes uh, friction out of it. The platform gives us speed. It means we're not reinventing the, the wheel. If you kind of add all of that up, um, I think, you know, when, when IoT was first talked about, I remember uh, people were wondering, well, this sounds great, but what's it good for? Uh, and so you, you get to speak to a lot of uh, consumer, enterprise, governmental people. What are some of the use cases where you see the strengths that you enumerated manifesting themselves? What are the ones where you've said, yeah, that's actually really good application for, for IoT. Because I'm sure you have a bunch of people, maybe entrepreneurs that come to you and they say, oh, we've got this IoT platform, we're doing X, and you're like maybe smiling politely and uh, uh, it's maybe not so good. So I'd be interested in your thoughts about where that sweet spot is and maybe where, where it, it, it isn't. That would segue us neatly onto the weaknesses side. So... Use cases. One of the most talked about use cases is predictive maintenance. Um, you know, instead of doing uh, scheduled maintenance whenever the schedule comes up, whenever we hit a milestone of so many hours run, or you know, for the car, it'd be how many miles have we driven? Instead of that, you know, look at the engine, analyze the engine, or whatever it is we're looking at. I'm just continuing on the car analogy and doing maintenance when required. I still believe it's a great use case, and it's not typically the first one we go after. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the first one and the easy one, particularly when we talk about smart factory or factory floor, is really connecting machines end to end, so start to finish, you know, from the real start of a factory line all the way to the end, and gaining uh, insights into that is often the very first use case that really shows already incredible uh, benefits. And, uh, you know, we see use cases where we see examples where we do that. And instead of people having to put a whole new factory line on the floor, they can actually squeeze an extra 10% out of the existing line and be able to produce more and save working capital, increase throughput and so forth. So just by connecting uh, and creating visibility from start to finish into a factory line is a very, very simple use case. I think I, I just want to pile on there and, and, and uh, echo that. I think that's so right. I think there's still a huge portion of industry that, uh, you know, may have incredible, um, uh, in, incredible tools and so forth. Um, I, I was uh, on site at uh, one of our customers. They're kind of heavy industry and they have these machines that look like they just straight out of Terminator three or is it Terminator <laughs> four now? I'm not sure. Uh, but just the ability to throw these multi-ton products around in this uh, environment is incredible. Um, but, you know, it's clear in their industry, generally speaking, those, those, the work in progress, the products are, are still kept track of using pencil and paper. And, and they're moving forward to address that. But I feel like many factories are kind of like a black box and you things go in, raw materials come in, um, stuff comes out. And yeah, there, there, are, there are robots and so forth. But um, knowing where everything is, do we know where every item of uh, every uh, item of work in progress, finished product, raw material, tool, person is? And, and if we did, what could we do with that information? It seems like we're just really starting to scratch that surface. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is um, talking about, I, I want to talk about another use case in a little bit, but I'm not sure if it's a weakness or it's an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity on your slot, but 
when we talk about the factory floor, the opportunity here really is, and what's new is we're bringing, uh, we, we call about the convergence of IT and OT, the information technology, the, the, the people that work uh, in the IT department and the OT folks, the operational technology folks, the people on the factory floor, they got to sit down and work together. And in some interesting way, I find this super fascinating. Um, on my projects, I have this happen on my own team. I have the OT and the IT folks come and uh, sit down and they seem to talk a bit of a different language. They come from a different background. You know, wireless uh, communication for an IT person has been around for a long time. For an OT person, that's not the same. Uh, they very much still believe in wiring things. Um, on the other hand, um, switching from factory floor or maybe, yeah, from machine uh, and to start to finish uh, monitoring. The other one that really fascinates me is um, tra track and trace. Um, again, another one really close to you, but yes. it's something that, you know, we've talked about a lot. Um, how can we really trace items? Uh, and that could be anything from, you know, big machines. We've done some work with heavy equipment manufacturers where they uh, park their machinery on a one acre parking lot and then it takes them 45 minutes to find the machinery they need and so you know just by putting a cone with a uh, gps beacon on there is a huge saving for them but you know we're not going really down into uh, much much smaller detail you know finding tools and you know knowing from start to finish in a uh, production environment from raw materials all the way until the uh, finished product gets delivered you know how can we trace that there is enormous uh, network opportunities network uh, optimization opportunities uh, to really knowing where the equipment is and so Absolutely. i'm really excited about this yeah I and totally uh, that will really be one of the other big use cases that i see more and more of yeah and, and what about in the um you know, more in the consumer and retail environment. Any uh, any IoT uh, uh, areas that you really think are showing great promise in, in that space? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I <laughs> if we would have talked to me four years ago, I would have told you how excited I am about retail. And I gotta tell you today, I'm a little disappointed how as a consumer walking around in retail, I'm not seeing it. Mm. I mean, not seeing retail investing into this as much as I would like. And um, I, I, I can now go and hypothesize why that's the case. But at the end of the day, um, there's a huge opportunity for retail to connect closer with their customers, you know, guide them better, you know, omni-channel. You know, there's so much opportunity out there. And for some reason, um, that's not quite happening. Um, and so a little disappointed in that. I am actually curious and, you know, <laughs> I just, someone just contacted me. Um, I, I made some predictions three years ago about, it was about Super Bowl and stadiums and how they're going to be connected. And funnily enough, the report, a reporter found this and reached out to me. And guess what was the beginning of my article about the Super Bowl three years ago? Um, I, I don't know. I, I was just trying to think three years ago, they were just starting to put beacon technologies in the Super Bowl. I remember that because I was working for a company that uh, put some of that in there. But uh, it seems like they're constantly trying to do that. So no, I, I give up. What, uh, what was it? I predicted that the 49ers are going to be in the Super Bowl in three years. <laughs> How could that have not been more accurate? And you know what? It was more of a joke than anything. And yet, it's really, that was the best prediction out of all of them. So that's pretty <laughs> funny. Good. Love it. Um, but no, what I was going to say is that I think that um, we're going to see uh, manufacturers connecting more and more with the consumer through um, uh, devices and through their product. And so that's what I'm going to be really looking forward to. And that goes right into the threat, if you wish, right? The threat of IoT or what's threatening IoT is the whole conversation about security and privacy, right? Yeah. How, how we do that 
in a way that's not creepy. Um, you know, is this a generational issue? I, I, I don't think of privacy as much of as a technology issue, as much uh, much more of a, a implementation management sort of like an a you know uh, an issue about what do you do with the data. It's you know we can store data safely. It's not about being able to do things right. It's about really what works for the different consumers and so forth. But the opportunity from my point of view to for manufacturers to connect directly with the consumer is huge and you know we're gonna see that go way down into price it's not just gonna be the four or five thousand dollar devices that kind of connect with you it's gonna be the much much cheaper ones and that'll be super interesting you know oh, i totally agree so yeah let's let's um jump down into the bottom left quadrant and talk about threats for a, for a bit and i think you put your finger on it with security and privacy uh, we just joined a, an organization called IOXT, which is um, a group of IoT companies that are trying to collaborate and agree a set of principles and standards around security. And I went to um, my first meeting of theirs that I attended. There was um, um, some great companies there. You know, the tier one uh, IoT companies were attending. And they started off with some demonstrations using existing products that you can buy today at Best Buy. One of them was one of the most popular door locks um, that uses a, a mesh technology to communicate. And uh, basically, they showed how anyone, within about three minutes, they hacked into this thing. Not only could they open and enclose the, the door lock that was on someone's front door, but they could do it in a way that decoupled the monitoring software so they could walk into your house, <laughs> walk out again, close the door and reconnect it so that the monitoring system never even saw it. Um, and that, the, that's not to say that door locks on front doors uh, have to be unsecure. It's just that the vendor in question, uh, by default, um, had set a parameter that when the mesh was broken, it would automatically recouple. And the exploit was in that period where if you can convince the door lock, oh, the network's gone down, and it then tries to recouple. It recouples with your network <laughs> rather than the homeowner's network. You open the lock, um, and there's a setting. There's a, basically a setting that the, the, the vendor had set to default, which was ease of use, which is don't worry if the network goes down, you won't have to repair everything. Uh, whereas, you know, the default really should be security first, convenience second. And they did that, and they also did that with uh, the camera and, you know, the nightmare of people looking at you in the, in, in the camera. So, and a lot of this seems to be down to uh, some fairly, not fundamental stuff, but just the way people have packaged it because profit has outweighed and convenience uh, has outweighed security. And so I think... What those guys are doing is good because I think it'll raise the bar. But, you know, this is scary for those of us who's, who earn our living out of uh, IoT. Unless we get a handle on this, then it's going to uh, really put a damper on the industry. So anyway, I agree. Um, let's go back to the top right hand corner and talk about weaknesses uh, for a little bit. Yes, think about this example you gave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I find it interesting, right? Um, what occurs to me is so true for IoT more than many other things I've seen is that it's very, very easy to fear monger. And um, I, I love the example of your door lock because I got to tell you, uh, I have a door lock. I don't know if it's the brand you talked about. Probably not. But uh, to be honest, if they want to break in my house, it won't take them three minutes to kick the door in. Okay. <laughs> And so for me, to make the door physically stronger to prevent people from kicking them in versus having an electronic lock is so much harder, so much more expensive. And so I think I find myself, and I see this with others, losing sight of the bigger picture here, which is, yeah, we can get all hung up now on my key lock being 
so super secure that nobody can ever break it versus, uh, okay, and they just kicked in the door in two <laughs> seconds and we're in and out in the time someone else can hack. Yes. And by the way, if you don't like that comparison, um, what about cameras that you have installed that actually now the person that hacked in saw the person that hacked in? So I think that when you put this on in context with everything else you can do around and the physical aspect, many of those security concerns are um, often overplayed. And, um, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't be secure. I think the the other example I heard about this, which I think is even more interesting to me, is is the example of what do you do with old devices? We have devices that we leave around underneath the sink that run for years and years and years, and they we can't even talk to them anymore. So there's the whole decommissioning aspect of devices that's interesting. And I know you deal with this with your yeah. uh, <laughs> with your uh, tags, yeah. but I think there's a there's a responsibility for us as an industry, and there's also a um, a realism that we got to put in there. Uh, what is secure? And that's, I think, where it gets really interesting because secure is such an emotional issue on its own. So I, I just wanted to put it in perspective. I love the door lock example, and it always reminds me how much easier it is to kick a door in. And, uh, you know, who thinks about strengthening the door versus that? It's sort of like, it's an interesting comparison. But anyhow, you wanted to go to a different quadrant. Yeah, no, I, let's go with this for a little longer because I, like, uh, I like what you're saying. And I think uh, having balanced perspective is so important. And the problem is that with this social media world, it's so easy for you to play to the 1% of people that are really shouting loud about this. And... Uh, you know, the way you deploy technology can be skewed. It's, it's uh, Clayton Christensen just died, didn't he? The, uh, the, the author of The Innovator's Dilemma, one of the, the best books on technology innovation that, uh, uh, that, that I've read um, back in the days when I used to read books rather than listen to them. Um, <laughs> and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Uh, you know, his, his premise was you can go out of business pretty fast by listening to your customers too much because, you know, who do you listen to? It's the most vocal ones, and it'll be probably the biggest ones that have a set of very specialist uh, requirements. Uh, and then you tend to ignore kind of the, the people that were happy with good enough. And then someone comes along with a product that is a fraction of the price that's good enough. And uh, before you know it, you're servicing a tiny part of the market, and uh, these other technologies have eaten your, your lunch. And I think... Uh, the danger is that we treat security that way. Uh, but uh, the flip side is, you know, um, even though I agree, you can kick down someone's door pretty easily. And who's really going to be able to understand Zigbee repairing and all that sort of thing. But the reality is the, the, these crooks can uh, pull down an app which has been written by someone really smart. And they may not be the smartest knife in the drawer, but they can still uh, break in very easily. So. It's, but to, to your point, it's about balance. But that's security. What about privacy? We can't have a conversation about our IoT without uh, talking a little more about uh, 
privacy. Where do you think we are on, on, on that? It's something that uh, we at Williart, we think about a lot and we, we're trying to get the right balance on because uh, when you can have tags in people's uh, drinks cabinet, medicine cabinet in their underwear, then you need to respect that and you need to do encryption. But then, you know, d where do you stop? You can make a product that is unusable because like I would argue iOS is becoming unusable. I am so fed up with these blooming messages saying, do you, this app is tracking you. I really don't care. I just want to get on with my life. And uh, the fact that they're making me do this, and I feel like they're doing this because of some purity test, you know, anyway, I don't want to burn any bridges with Apple. So <laughs> maybe we'll edit this, this bit out, or maybe we won't. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that balance with privacy and, uh, and, and where that's headed? So I have an interesting story for you. Um, we, Deloitte, did a, a research study, uh, 9,000 people, I think eight countries uh, across the world, and asking them which technology has helped you professionally and personally the most. And I, I'll be happy to report that IoT came out at the top. Okay. And... Um, um, but only at like 54% uh, strongly agreed that it helped them. And then AI and, you know, additive manufacturing, there were a bunch of things that were all below them. Um, I have to say 54% satisfied isn't really that high. I think we have a long way to go. But here's the interesting one. Um, we then split this by age group. And so I, I went to the uh, Barcelona World Congress um, and uh, did a bit of a panel on that. And I wanted to be prepared. Why was that the case? What uh, hypotheses, theories, fantasies people had about this? So I brought a group together of um, um, a bit more diverse than myself to hear what they had to say. I had opinions on many of the other uh, data points, but on that one, I really couldn't, on age, I couldn't quite go and uh, split this apart. And so I had a group that was um, one uh, male uh, Deloitte person, mid-20s. There was a female one, um, late 30s. There was someone in their 40s, and then there was me in my 50s, okay? And so we talked about this, and we had this super interesting uh, almost debate, argument breakout between the uh, guy in the 20s and the woman in the 30s. And the woman in the 30s was like, oh, my God, I can't have all this data. They are looking at me and they're seeing me. And the guy in the 20s said, look, if they give me valuable information for me sharing information, I don't care what information they have about me. And then she came back like, yeah, but they're going to deny your mortgage. He's like, I, I don't need a mortgage. And so, you know, <laughs> she has kids, he doesn't, yeah. you know. So it really showed there was a huge disparity, a, a, a huge difference in terms of uh, willingness to accept privacy and uh, really um, deal with that in different age groups. And, you know, this is a small sample, right? This were four people. I, I fall more into the, maybe I'm trying to be younger, but I more fall into the 20s kind of range where I say, you know, if I'm, if something tracks me at the wrong place and I don't want it to see, then I probably shouldn't have been at that place in the first place. Yeah. So I'm fairly lax about this. I, I feel the same way if it gives me valuable information and that's good. But here's my conclusion out of this. I think I want to be in control over that and I want to choose what I want to see and don't want to see. I don't want someone to decide for me that they don't use my data because of the, the people that don't want it. But I also don't want to be forced into that. So we talk a lot about in our um, um, start small uh, in our think big, start small phase mm -hmm. to really engage with your customers and hear what your customers are telling you. Because I think for use case, per use case, per customer group, uh, per example, uh, the answer is never the same for privacy. So that's my long answer to that. Uh, age matters, use case matters, um, and what I get out of that matters a lot too. Yeah, and I think region matters as well as all those things that you Good mentioned. Point. Yes, thank you. Because like very. our attitude towards government is very different uh, depending on whether you're in England, where I grew up. What, which country did you grow up in again? I, I should know. Austria. Austria. 
probably there's a different view of privacy in Austria to England to China. Uh, I mean, if I was in China, I'd probably have a very different view of the government tracking what I do. In this country, in America, where we both are now, where we chose to, to move to, then there's a general kind of suspicion and skepticism about government back in uh, Back in the UK, we have security cameras everywhere and we all feel safer as a result of it. So it's, it's very regional, I think. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk a bit about weaknesses. I don't want to be too much of a downer on this. And uh, then, because then, uh, I think we've talked about opportunities, uh, we've talked about th uh, threats. I, I want to make sure we get a little bit of time on opportunities as well. But weaknesses, where is it that you see um, you know, where was it that people thought they could use IoT and it's just not working very well? Any, any, uh, uh, any unexpected weaknesses or maybe there are expected weaknesses that you spring to your mind? I still think we have to wire a lot of sensors, particularly in the factory floor, to really make it work. So, and wiring is expensive, takes time, uh, is sort of a very, I'd call it permanent or semi-permanent installation of stuff. So that's one of the weaknesses um, that I find. So wireless is coming, but not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. um, another weakness that comes to mind is um, we are generating so much data, and I still think we have don't have enough people that really understand data, data scientists. Um, you know, there's just a shortage of people that really are into the data side of things as much as they need to. Um, so that's another one. Um, not sure it's a weakness or maybe it's an opportunity. Who knows, right? Yeah. You never quite know. Those are both uh, a weakness could easily be an opportunity. Yeah, it is for some, certainly. For, I mean, I often wonder, what can I tell my kids that they need to study to have a job? And, and I think that's, that's one of the areas. They, uh, maybe they should. Math. Be. My new answer is math. <laughs> I've been asked this question. I was like sitting there and racking my brain. I was like, no, it's math. It really is math, which is fascinating. Um, so uh, that's another weakness. Uh, so then it's very easy to create vertical solutions, like really up and down. Just here's the right sensor for your problem. Uh, let me give you uh, the edge computing device that just talks to my sensors. And then that's going to go into my cloud uh, environment, which, by the way, is any of the big clouds anyhow, because m nobody can afford to make their own anymore. Uh, but they make their own proportion of this. And then I'm going to create data science on top of that that's specifically focused just on that use case. And on top of that, I'm going to create an app. And that app only solves my uh, use case, and it connects all the way through. And so it creates this uh, danger of saying, yeah, that use, that use case is solved perfectly, top to bottom, straight down. And then it's like, oh, hang on, but I'd like to also know. And yeah, now we're stuck because that use case is so vertically siloed. It's so, mm. you know, connect, disconnected from everything else that you can't do that. And I think it's a bit of a trap and it's a trap to easily fall into. Um, for some things, it makes sense. Uh, but I was just on a call with uh, a company that makes amazing sensors. And they said, yeah, it, it takes too long for other people to do data science. We created our own data science environment and our own analytics environment. And now we have another environment to go to and look at the data. Uh, it, it's a weakness and it's definitely something that um, is hard to overcome. But um, the verticalization is definitely a challenge, I, I find. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're drawn to it because it's it's amazing how, as human beings, we need a lot of help in joining the dots. Uh, as technologists, we assume everyone can see those connections, but normal people uh, need, you know, a lot of them need it to be packaged and very specifically for them. And that uh, takes time and it kind of locks you in. And uh, um I feel like we've covered a lot of, uh, so we've covered a lot of strengths and weaknesses, the, the threats. Actually, we talked about privacy and security. Um, maybe we should just do kind of a, a sweep around of any last pieces that we haven't touched on. I'll tell you one thing we haven't talked about, which is very surprising. We haven't talked about blockchain. Um, so what is the... <laughs> <laughs> no conversation on IoT is complete with a conversation about blockchain. And I know Deloitte is doing a lot in that area. 
Um, I kind of oscillate between being super enthusiastic about it and seeing how it can open up all these opportunities and thinking, oh my God, if I see another company that's got blockchain in the description of what they're doing and basically are applying it for something that actually could be solved just as well without blockchain, then uh, I'll, I'll scream. Um, so what's your view of uh, where blockchain is and uh, where the, the, uh, the opportunities for that uh, are and where it's not being used well? So, you know, when you said blockchain, the next thing that popped into my mind was like, let's just add on 5G, right? Because we got to talk about that too. Uh, yeah, we should. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I feel equally ambivalent about both of those, and, and here is why. 5G is still years away from being readily available in many, many areas. Um, yet, um, I, I just wish that I could entice my telecom friends and clients to stop thinking of chips and start thinking of connecting uh, ubiquitously to things. So don't ask me how many SIMs I'm going to buy from you. Help me to connect in any form of fashion. Is that Wi-Fi? Is that whatever it is, right? So I, I miss this conversation to go that way. And I think anybody who's ever going to really answer this question independent of technology, but really just saying how to connect is going to really solve and crack that nut. But in any case, it's a bit away. Um, blockchain um, has its place, particularly um, when it talks about how to connect between different entities and creating trust between us. Um, blockchain, as far as I understand at this point in time, will always be too slow to store streaming data. So the massive amount of data that a sensor generates, we're not going to be having blockchain sitting there capturing every data point and then passing it on. Yeah. However, um, it has a place for uh, where, you know, uh, you give us the chip, we get the data, but then we pass the data from uh, the raw material manufacturer on to the uh, many to the maker of the product and then there's authentication between us and then we create this authenticated chain of ownership uh, from raw materials all the way to the end user. That actually I can see having blockchain a lot of value. I had this coming back to the human impact. Um, I've had this interesting conversation with a food manufacturer, really actually grower of um, um, uh, vegetables and greens and so forth mm -hmm. and you know me as a consumer i'd love to know where my greens come from right and so to create a chain of ownership of what happened with uh, where was the food i eat grown and how did it get to me you know the uh, farm to table yes. uh, that is a great example and a great use case for blockchain because then there's authenticity is required and you want to make sure you have an, uh, a certified authentic um, food network if you wish and that makes sense for blockchain from where I stand and what I understand but um, it, it won't be at the sensor level uh, we're still it's too slow for that at this point in time so it'll be really more the authentication between companies uh, is where I see it yeah, I, I agree that traceability, um, we, are, we actually have food regulations that the industry is basically ignoring at the moment because it's just too hard to do traceability. And th there's some real costs in uh, recalls. And if blockchain can help solve that, then that's good. Of course, you can go to r ridiculous extremes. And for a while, I was skeptical about this provenance thing and the value of it and I think of that sketch in Portlandia where the uh, the couple in Portland, Oregon, where I spent some time, very known for its political correctness, you know, they were being briefed on the uh, identity of the chicken the, who uh, basically gave its life for the meal and what its name was, where it lived and, uh, you know, what its hobbies were. And it was just absurd. And it's like, yeah, I, I actually think this is ridiculous. I don't think we need that. But then someone pointed to me, well, you probably think about it differently again if you're in China and you're being, your baby is potentially being poisoned and killed by formula and, uh, and drugs that are, that are, that are not real. Uh, and so that's, um, um, and we see, you know, with our own product tags on, uh, on food products that command uh, a premium or people just want to monitor the <laughs> did that delivery person break into my 
box of fries and you know eat them. Uh, so there's uh, there's a lot of fascinating use cases around food traceability, and it's something that uh, we care about. All right. What's that? You know, I I just started. Um, I, weight has always been an issue for me my entire life, and so I'm on another uh, um, march to um, improve my food intake. Yeah. And one of the things I looked uh, was outlined to me was, you know, I gotta lower my sugar intake. And so, did you know that on the back of every package, uh, every everything, every ingredient has a percentage of daily uh, um, how much daily intake you should have for that particular piece of ingredient yes. except sugar oh. pick it up you will notice that sugar has grams by the way four grams is a tablespoon uh, a teaspoon I think a teaspoon which is nuts if you think that you know you, you look at this but there's no percentage next to it and it's fascinating to think, how did that happen that sugar doesn't get a percentage versus all the other ones? So it's a really tricky one, right? And I think it's going to be back to what I take out of this. It's back to us as consumers to really um, make our voice heard by buying what we think is good for us and, you know, being very conscious. And I think this is true for many other things. You know, we got to look at our consumers, what they want. It's for privacy. It's for use cases. It's for what works and for what doesn't. But I think it's going to be super fascinating to see how we're going to know so much more about um, machines around us, about, you know, what we have, uh, products we have around us and so forth. And that's just exciting to me. And, you know, uh, beside the technology side of it, it's just going to have an enormous impact. So I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting story to think that sugar doesn't get a percent of daily uh, recommended intake. I am flabbergasted by that. That's amazing. Um, well, it, this has been really fun. Uh, Robert Schmidt, uh, Mr. Uh, IoT, um, thanks very much for joining us. If people want to catch coffee with Mr. IoT, what's the easiest way of finding it? Just go on YouTube and search coffee with Mr. IoT or subscribe to the Deloitte channel. Um, and you'll see uh, lots of other interesting uh, contributions. But it's on YouTube. And actually, we just made a podcast out of it, too. So you can search for podcast, too. Uh, we're taking all the YouTube stuff and making it into a podcast. Um, so, you know, you've been way ahead of me on that. Brilliant. Well, I, I definitely enjoy listening to it. And uh, I uh, appreciate your doing this crossover episode. And uh, joining us. I am looking forward to speaking at the Deloitte Digital uh, Agenda Conference in Copenhagen, 11th of March. Uh, uh, so thanks for inviting me to talk about what we're doing with uh, Willie up there. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we get a chance to talk, Robert. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Uh, so imagine you're on a rocket ship, you're going to Mars, and for some bizarre technical reason, you can only have three songs. What would the three songs be that you would listen to? Oh my gosh, that must be the very first iPod ever, three songs only. <laughs> yes, the prototype, <laughs> proto-iPod. <laughs> um, so I don't know what three the three songs would be, and I'll, I'll explain to you in a second, but uh, I think I'd bring at least one song from each of these three artists. There'd be an Elja Rose song. It might be the song that's like the theme song of the Moonlighting show that, you know, with uh, Bruce Willis and oh, Shell yeah. uh, Shepard. Um, so one Elja Rose song, uh, it'll be, and I saw him live twice, uh, one Barry White song, because that always lifts me up. I, I kind of like, I, I don't want to fess up that I listen to ABBA, so I figured I'll pick some Barry White stuff. Okay. Um, and I don't exactly know again which song it is. And the third, and I saw him live, and uh, John Mayer, uh, a John Mayer song. And I was lucky enough to see John Mayer before he became Big John Mayer. I saw him once actually in San Diego at the House of Blues play. Oh, it's a good amazing. venue. Very nice, intimate, big enough to have atmosphere, but uh, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, as I pose this question to you, I realize you've sort of been on the closest thing uh, that one could have, a trip to Mars. You, you've actually been um, sailing around the world. Uh, for how long were you on, a, on that sailing boat for? 
I lived on the boat for three years. I sailed from actually San Diego <clears throat> all the way to New Zealand for a year. Amazing. And, and were you listening to music then or was it just uh, fighting the elements to stay alive? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, listening to music most of the time. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> and um, yeah, that was one of my projects. I put speakers on the board everywhere so I could listen to music because, as I said, I love having music in the background. So, yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> the reason I don't know the songs is because uh, to this day, I don't always listen to lyrics. Lyrics for me come kind of hard. Yeah. So I'm more a melodic kind of guy, the melody and so forth. Lately, I found out that in some of my old music, it's a pretty sad uh, lyric because now I hear the lyric after 20 years living here. It's like, ooh, that's not really a good message. Maybe I got to take that off my playlist. <laughs> but, uh, um, was there, I mean, is there a set of songs that remind you of that journey or uh, artists? Uh, or is it the ones that you just described? No, <clears throat> the, those artists I've liked for a long, long time. Uh, some of my friends make fun of my playlist because it hasn't changed in like 15, 20 years. Well, no, John may have added re more recently, but in any case, yeah. No, it's just, I don't know. Okay, no so, song that you hear it and you think, oh man, I remember when I was on a howling storm in the middle of the uh, Pacific. Or, yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, well, uh, that very uh, good backdrop to that question and uh, um, thanks for answering it. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 